0: All right, guys, incredible show today. Absolute Alabama football legend. John Hannah is coming on. He's Sports Illustrated's best lineman ever to play the game. Um, of course he is. He's coming out of the university of Alabama, right? Well, he's coming in we cover everything from playing for coach Bear Bryant to beef oligarchs, uh, his testimony and and really everything in between, you're not going to want to miss this. We have an incredible culture here in the state of Alabama, but our politics and public policy don't reflect the people of Alabama. Media drives culture. Culture is what drives politics and public policy. Welcome everyone to 1819 news, the podcast. I'm Brian Dawson, CEO of 1819 news and host of this here podcast. Got a great one today before I jump into who it is and what it's about. Got to ask you guys, we need you to join the fight. What What does that mean, join the fight? Well, we are out here uh, exposing corruption, digging into all the things that are going on. We're fighting on behalf of the people of Alabama. So we're asking the people of Alabama to join the fight with us by supporting the work we're doing. We have different membership levels, $10, $18.19 a month, $50, whatever it is, whatever you're able to. Um, we'd love for you to join the fight, support the work that we're doing. Uh, you'll get some cool merch uh, and uh, some behind-the-scenes content and stuff like that. That's not why you should do it. You should do it because you're supporting good journalism. We're a nonprofit news organization uh, working on behalf of the people. So please do that. Um, and also, uh, my, my weekly PSA, if you're watching on YouTube, don't because they remove our content constantly. That's so you know the content's good. Um, but if you want to consistently get our content, kind of make it a habit to go to Apple podcasts, go to Spotify or go to rumble. That's where you can get, uh, the content without any interruption or taking down or anything like that. And so, um, without further ado, I'll jump into today's podcast. Extremely excited. I always say I'm, I'm more excited about this one than, you know, all the others before and it, and it keeps building. God keeps bringing awesome people in. Ah, uh, to do these podcasts, and today we have um, a, a great um, football player in the in the state of Alabama, uh, who's very well known, um, and I believe Sports Illustrated's best offensive lineman ever to play the game. We have Mr. John Hanna joining us in studio, and so, John, thank you so much for joining me. Brian. I'm very very excited about this, Brian. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely, man. Where where even to begin? You've got such an incredible legacy and such an incredible uh, story. That's something that means a lot to us is just to hear people's stories. We want to hear people's stories. I think that's um, one of the things that's missing. People always want to go into stats and data points and all this other stuff. And they just, they don't hear the story. And so, um, you know, obviously you played, uh, I imagine grew up in Alabama, played football at the University of Alabama, went on to play in New England, had a hall of fame career, did all these incredible things. But I bet somewhere along those lines, there's a lot of people don't know about you. And So just let's start off at the very beginning. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? Tell us about your family.
1: Well, my, my dad actually uh, married my mother. Uh, she's a Georgian, and she was a professor at the University of Georgia when he met her. And uh, so anyway, that'll, that'll play into some yeah. things later on.
0: Sounds like some evangelism was yeah. done.
1: But anyway, uh, I was born in uh, Canton, Georgia. That's where the hospital was, but we actually lived in ball ground. And I think the population was about 350 at that time. And uh, through different events, my dad was a coach and we worked on a dairy and we traveled around, lived in Canton and Cedartown, Georgia, and different places. And then finally, uh, dad, when my youngest brother David was born, uh, dad realized that he couldn't feed. Uh, the three of us and coach. So he decided to get into business and he decided to go out on his own. We eventually got to Albertville, Alabama. I was 12 years old and uh, grew up there. Uh, ninth grade, I went to, dad had, when he was in the, the net uh, World War II, he went to pilot school. And there are two boys that got him through the training with the slide rule and all those different calculations. And he was really impressed with them, and he made a vow to himself that if he forever had sons and he could find a way to do it, he was going to send his boys to Baylor in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where those boys had come from. Yeah. So I went to Baylor for three years and then came back to Alabama for my senior year and uh, uh, played at Alabama,
0: got drafted by New England, and that about sums it up. There it is. All right, well, let's let's back up and drill down a little bit. So you went and played for the University of Alabama. Um, if I remember correctly, that seemed to be, there wasn't a whole lot of question where you were going to go play college football.
1: Well, I'll tell this story all the time. Uh, you know, when I was, I, I really did have some, in my mind, I had some questions. Uh, you know, I always loved Alabama, you know, and uh, my dad played at Alabama, as you know, and, um I when I was a kid going to the barbershop uh in not Canton, everybody'd say, You're gonna be like your dad and I'd say, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my Uncle Bill uh played at Alabama and when first game I went to was watch my Uncle Bill play at the University of Georgia in Athens. And so, um, anyway there were there was a lot of conflict there. So uh my senior year um I went and I was I was thinking about where I wanted to go and I was I had three schools that were kind of like top on my list. Uh, the first one nationally was Alabama, the second one was Georgia, and then my uncle Bill was coaching out in Fullerton, California, and SC approached me, uh, University of Southern Cal, and so I said, I, "That might be pretty good. I'd go live with Uncle Bill, go to SC." And uh, so I was really thinking about it. And then one day I got home, and Dad asked me, he says, well, have you thought about where you're going? I said, well, yeah, Dad, I've narrowed it down to three. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'll be one of those three. And he said, well, John, you know, wherever you go, I'll follow you, and I'll support you. But what you got to ask yourself is where you going to eat when you come home. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I I guess that pretty well decided it. Made,
0: made up your mind for well, you.
1: The the story the backside of that yeah. you gotta understand my dad. My dad grew up a sharecropper yeah. in West Limestone, Alabama. And uh he was they were dirt poor. Yeah. And uh he uh went to it got got to be a pilot and he buddied up with a guy named Rock McCants from Orangeburg, South Carolina. And uh Rock asked him, says uh yeah, you know, Herb, you got to go to college, and Dad said, oh, "I can't go to college. I'm not smart enough." Rock finally talked him into it. So Dad says, "Where am I going to go?" Rock says, "You gonna go with me to Clemson?" And so Dad goes to Clemson. Says, "I want I got a half VA scholarship. You give me a half scholarship, give me a room to sleep in, and three meals a day. I'll, I'd like to play football at Clemson." Yeah. He said, "Well, Herb, we can give you the room. We can give you the, but we can only feed you twice a day." So Dad goes down to Alabama. Hank Crisp has coached him in military ball. and Hank Crisp was in Alabama. And Dad said, "You know, I said the same thing." And Hank. Chris said, sure, Herb, we can do that. So for the price of one, one meal, a meal a day, day. <laughs> there's was Dad, my Uncle Bill, me, Charlie, and David. So there's five of us. <laughs> that's of-
0: the best investment the University of Alabama <laughs> has ever made, I think. And that's
1: why he asked me where I was going to eat, too. <laughs> yeah. he, he, he was loyal. Yeah. Dad was loyal.
0: So. Amen. That's awesome. So when, you know, growing up, I mean, I guess your dad played ball. Um, when did you know that, that – that's what you wanted to do. Because, I mean, obviously you are uh, – I, I mean, I've, I went back and watched some of the videos of you play, and I've never seen anything like it in the offensive position. You see some defensive guys that can throw people around. I've never seen anything like it. When did you just know that this is what I'm doing?
1: Well, I didn't know if I could, but I knew that I wanted to. Yeah. Uh, in the fourth grade. Uh, I was nine years old and in, in Canton. Yeah. And there was two playgrounds, and they were on terrace. There's one upper terrace and a playground down below. And I was up on—down on on the lower terrace playing kickball with a bunch of guys. And all of a sudden, about seven or eight guys on the top of the top terrace started serenading me with a song called—and it went like this. It says, Fatty, Fatty, two by four, can't get through the kitchen door. And— so it, it hurt, you know, because oh, they were supposed to be my best friends. Yeah, And uh, so I go home, told my mom about it, and uh, mom called my dad. Now, you know, most parents would either call the principal or call the parents. Uh, dad didn't do any of that. He was different. Yeah. Uh, dad, the boy that was coaching the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade football team had played for dad. So Dad called him up and asked him if I could play for him. He said, sure. So that night, Dad comes in and he says, John, I talked to the junior high coach and uh, it ain't going to be easy. It's going to be hard. But if you you can go out for that 6th, 7th, and 8th grade team, I believe you can do it. And if you go out there and make that team, they'll no longer call you fatty, fatty, 2 by 4 anymore. So I went out as a nine-year-old and played not only that want a start in position first game broke my nose dad wanted to pull me from the game i told him no and he said well why not i said fatty fatty two by four. oh wow so the whole the whole first part of my life with when it was football it was because i wanted to be somebody besides fatty fatty two by four so that was kind of what got me going into
0: football wow i'm glad i asked that question i had no idea Yep. There you go. Um, And to be able to be a nine-year-old playing with 6th, 7th, and 8th graders is... uh, It was fun. I I don't know if that's what I would have called it. I would have been getting mopped up, but wow, that's incredible. So you make the decision to go play for the University of Alabama. Um, If I remember the story correctly, Coach Bear Bryant was there, yep, and he was the coach. And so one of the things that's caused me to want to really reach out to football players from your generation, specifically that played for you know, Coach Bryant is just the way that he did things. And it's nothing against how Coach Saban is doing things now, but it's it's just going back and looking at a at a, at a time gone by and looking at the fruits of it. And you see, you know, Eli Gold wrote a book called Bears Boys, you know, and it just goes into the history of, of these men who, who started out at the University of Alabama as boys. Uh, and by the time they were done with three or four years with him, they were men. Uh, and not only did they go on to a lot of them go on to play professional football, but they went on to be good husbands, good fathers, businessmen, uh, you know, beneficial members of the community. And so, uh, you know, kind of in the net positive of that one meal a day, you get this generational thing of Hannah's coming through the work that the that, that coach Bryant was doing left a generational legacy um, that's just undeniable in the state. And, and I moved to Alabama eight years ago. And I just began to notice that, and I'm like, "Wow, this is this is really incredible." So I wanted to to, to talk about that. You know, what was it like for you um, playing for 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 the Bear?
1: Well, Coach Bryant, you know, was a a legend way before I got there, and uh, but immediately before I got there, Alabama was going through some struggling times. You know, and struggling for them is six and four. Yeah. So um, you know, it was it was it was it wasn't a great time to go to Alabama. And uh, so, um, I think what what went there. I guess you know if I were to look at it, and, and I'm going to maybe cut to the chase, and I can tell a lot of things. We'll dig into that later. But um, the biggest lesson that Coach Bryant taught me was, and and that I learned was that you can go further than you ever thought you could. Mm-hmm. I remember, and I again, I've told this story a thousand times, but I remember my uh, sophomore year, a week before we played Southern Cal, it was, I mean, scorching hot, humid. It was one of those typical Tuscaloosa yeah. days. And uh, Coach Bryant came through the tunnel uh, to get to the practice field, and he was whistling Amazing Grace. I knew it was going to be a rough one. <laughs> so, anyway, after about a 45-minute um, um, individual drills, we got to doing our scrimmage, a controlled scrimmage. And we went and we went and we kept going. And all of a sudden, guys in the huddle would just poof, fall out. And uh, it was, you know, we, I think at the end of the day, uh, there were about 10 guys that were sent to the hospital with heat stroke and dehydration. Several other hit, gone with either knees or broken bones or something. I mean, it was just one of those rock'em, sock'em days. Yeah. And uh, anyway, I get back to crawl up the stairs to my bedroom, and I hear all the suitcases clicking, and hear the trunk of cars closing, and people driving off, and A lot of people left, and uh, I said, I'm going to quit too, but Dad, blame it. I've earned supper, so I'm at least going to eat supper, get back to food again, right? there it is. So anyway, uh, uh, I fell asleep and didn't go to eat supper. Woke up the next morning, and I said, well, heck, I'm here. Might as well stay. And anyway, we we went to the three, had a 3 o'clock meeting. And Coach Bryant comes in, and he winds that watch. He said, well, boys, I'm a little early, but we'll go ahead and get started anyway. Every day, five minutes before, that's when the meeting started at night at the time. So (laughs) anyway, he goes in, he says, boys, y'all learned a big lesson yesterday. He said, you'll push yourself and push yourself, and you'll think you're going to die. But the human body is an amazing machine it'll always pass out before it dies. Mm. And I, it clicked. And, you know, my dad had also told me, you know, and he preached the same gospel that Coach Bryant did. He said, there's an invisible barrier out there somewhere. And he says, you'll push yourself up to that barrier, and you'll back off. And you push it, and you'll back off. But he says, someday, either fear or anger or some emotion is going to drive you through that barrier. And if you ever break that barrier, you're going to find out that there's a whole world out there that you've never experienced.
0: That's incredible.
1: And it and that's what that's what Coach Bryant got for. I, I when I went into pro ball, I knew wasn't I wasn't a great, most gifted athlete, but I knew I could probably outwork everybody that played in front of. Yeah. And it, it, even in the you know if I got my butt whooped in the first quarter, I'd last out to where I'd come out ahead at the end anyway. That was that was kind of the attitude I had because of what I'd learned
0: from Coach Bryant. Wow. Before we go to our commercial break, I want to um, – something that, that that stuck out to me as I read about you and, and have learned about you, uh, a lot of time you, know, you hear people, they talk about the value of the education and going to college for school and got to get that education. That wasn't you, was it? No, it wasn't.
1: Well, what had happened is I went, you know, this could apply to modern day. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'd gone to Baylor and learned classical English. I mean, I took three years of Latin. I took classical English all the way through, uh, algebra. And I mean, I wasn't a great student, but I was a good student. Yeah. Well, I get there, and I get these dang graduate assistants, and they're trying to—I'd get an F on an English paper because they said I wrote too formal. I said, my dad just spent thirty thousand dollars to send me to this good school to teach me to write that way. You're the dumb, but not like that. So anyway, I just I said, heck with you, you, y'all are stupid. Yeah, and uh, they were, and yeah. uh, you know because they're lowering the standards of what yeah. you know that's all they were doing. And so it kind of wow. burned you up. But that's when all that modern stuff started, you know. And
0: uh, crazy to think it was going on back then. I learned more in high school than I ever learned at Alabama. That's good. There's a big classical education resurgence right now. My kids are classically educated, learning Latin, all that stuff. So
1: it's important, and it's discipline, and it's you know I don't talk like that now because I've been on the farm too long. Yeah, but, uh, there, there is a uh, it. My mom, being a teacher and being she taught us Amy in Vanderbilt. She says, "I do not want you to be embarrassed when you go out in public," and so we were taught how to how to. How to act in public, and how to do things, and how to be accepted, and how to do the things that you need to do to earn respect, and do that, uh, you know, and uh, it was. I think it was. It's important for parents to do that, and uh, you know, I it just uh, it's a, it's a lost. Uh, a lost, not a lost art, but a lost
0: teaching that
1: parents aren't handing down.
0: Yeah. And there was, um, Dorothy Sayers wrote a book called the lost tools of learning. And there was another guy who came along and wrote a book called recovering the lost tools of learning that really relaunched the classical yeah. education. It's classical Christian education is <clears throat> the, the movement that's really sprung up. That's got us. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, go to our sponsor and we'll come back and we'll continue the conversation.
2: Hey y'all, it's Allison Sinclair with Alabama Unfiltered. A lot of people ask me, what can I do to actually make a difference in DC and in my state government? And one of the most effective things you can do is write an old school letter to your elected officials. It seems super simple, but a written through the mail letter gets their attention much more than an email or a phone call. I use the quick letter app from my phone to write letters and it makes it so easy to write all of my representatives in DC and in our state a real letter in a matter of minutes. And so Quick Letter automatically determines your representatives and their mailing addresses. You write or dictate a letter on your phone and tap the name of every representative you want to receive that letter. And Quick Letter handles the delivery address, the return address, the greeting, the closing, the signature, the printing, stuffing, stamping, and placing your letter in the US mail. Your governor, attorney general, state legislators, your US senators, and congressmen need to hear from you. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Actually, a brief, simple letter usually has the most impact. Send a quick letter today and every day. Go to quickletter.com, that's K-W-I-K, quickletter.com, or download the Quick Letter app today. All
0: right, guys, well, welcome back. And before we jump back into this incredible interview, I just want to tell you guys, our sponsor, Jim Hicks, at Quick Letter, uh, it's incredible. It's KWIK Letter, if you didn't get that from the commercial. Uh, He has created an app that made one of the most important things we can do extremely simple for everyone. You can get on there and write your legislator, your representatives, the people who have sworn an oath to represent you. You can let them know what you think, and and, and it couldn't get any easier. I always tell the story. Uh, my wife jumped on there when we first heard about it. She wrote a letter to our state representative, and he was so impressed uh, by the presentation of it and everything, he reached out to my wife, called her, and just said, you know, this is the content of the letter was great, but the way that it was presented and printed and delivered and, and on his desk, the whole thing, he was just blown away by it and so much so that he reached out to my wife to tell her that. So um, this is the type of impact uh, we can have. Make your voices heard. Uh, remove all excuses. Maybe they'll listen, maybe they won't, but at least you're doing your part, being taking your responsibility to make your voice heard. So again, that's quick letter, K-W-I-K letter. Go uh, to your uh, Apple apps or whatever it is, your, your app store on Apple and uh, or Samsung or whatever you have. It's there in the app store. So definitely do that and let's jump back in. So we are uh, University of Alabama playing football, lessons learned with, with Coach Bryant um and turned out you were you were decent at uh decent at football by the time you got into college there oh fair <laughs> did okay so what what was your and and you you don't strike me as a guy who likes to brag so I'm gonna dig this out of you what was your uh all Americans you had two all Americans is that right or what uh, was
1: I I've earned some of the all americans in my junior year but I won them all my senior year wow
0: you were obviously a, a hot commodity coming out of of college football. What, uh, I was thinking of the conversation we had before the podcast about what, what it paid back then. (laughs) I
1: I was the fourth pick overall. And my starting salary was $30,000. Yeah. And everybody on the team was mad at me
0: because I was making so much money. (laughs) So uh, that'll
1: tell you about how far football's
0: come. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) So, um, fourth pick overall, new England Patriots, you got, you've been down here in Georgia and Alabama and, you know, thoughts of California, and then you end up in Foxborough. Talk about that.
1: Well, when I got drafted, I, I didn't even know where the New England Patriots were. I never heard of them before. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to look it up on uh, – call around and find out where it was. We didn't have – Didn't have uh, Wikipedia then, yeah. So we – or Google it or whatever you do. But anyway, I called around and found out where it was. And uh, – but anyway uh, – I get a phone call. He says, John, this is Coach Fairbanks. He says, I just want to let you know we picked you th- here. And, and, you know, the New England Patriots would like you to come up pretty soon. I'll call you back in a week. I said, okay. And so I started trying to figure out where I was going. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, we go up there, and uh, really the, the, a lot of the, the sports people thought it was a bad mistake because – I'm on the crust of being six three yeah which is short yeah. uh for the n f l and uh it uh what they didn't realize though, and what Fairbanks did realize is that I've got a thirty seven inch sleeve length yeah, which is the sleeve length of a six five six six guy yeah and that's what the height is for. It's not about being tall, it's about having long arms so you can yeah. keep the guy away for pass protection. But, you know, I grew up in uh, the Wishbone offense and I had no idea how to pass block and had no idea how to pull. I didn't yeah. even know how to get in a three-point stance. And so I had to learn the whole game uh wow. from bottom up and uh it was a it it took me about uh, two or three years to really get into a groove and, and learn, but it was a it was a painful. It was there were a lot of painful lessons along the way. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you play guys like uh, uh, Bubba Smith and uh, uh, Buck Buchanan, who's from here in Birmingham, and a lot of those, you know, Talbert and all those guys. I mean, there were some pretty. Honorary rascals back in those days, and yeah. they'd, they'd teach you how to play.
0: Yeah, rules were a little bit different back then. Yeah, too. they
1: were. I was tickled to death, and it's either ninety six or seventy six or seventy eight, and they <laughs> limited the head slaps to only one, and uh, <laughs> that was a that was a good break for offensive line. <laughs> That's why I'm deaf today. I yeah. can't hear anything because. And it's funny, Joe Delamare who played at Buffalo. He was a right guard. He's deaf in his right ear. I was a left guard and I'm deaf in my left ear. It's from the head slaps getting banged all the time. That's part of it.
0: So what, and you know, I have really no point of reference that compares with, with your experience, but I remember when I went from junior varsity and and I went to a high school where football was king. This is in Derby, Kansas, right? South of Wichita. Um, You know, it's, it's very big deal there. You know, the last, eight years or whatever there go to state six to eight years, or whatever. And so I mean, it was, it was competitive when I went from junior varsity to playing snaps and varsity, the, the intensity and the, the hits the everything was, I mean, you, you like, it was such a jump. What was the jump like going from the university of Alabama uh, to, to going and playing for the new England Patriots as far as.
1: Multiply what you experienced by two. If you were to go to college ball, okay. multiply it by 10. If you go to pro ball. Wow, that was back then. Yeah. Now you got to remember, today we only had, I think there were about four hundred something guys in the league. We only had, I think when I went home we had twenty four teams, maybe twenty eight, twenty four. I think my first year, and there were forty man mm-hmm. rosters, so you only got eight hundred guys in the league. Yeah. Uh, today they've got what twenty five, three thousand guys playing. Yeah. They You know, so. You yeah, know. <laughs> they don't even know what competition is. There you go. And uh, and and uh, it was just uh, a lot tougher, a lot uh, – the guys were more rugged. Yeah. Uh, they were – you know, it wasn't a finesse game at all. It yeah. was strictly, uh, you know, you're in your badge of courage by how you hit.
0: Yeah. And that was it. They said you like to hit.
1: I, 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 football is a strange game. Uh, somebody once told me. He says you got to be sadistic, but you also got to be a little masochistic. <laughs> so I think it's a little bit of both. You got to yeah. learn. You got to love to give it, but you got also love to take it. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a crazy thing, but it, it's part of it. And uh, especially as an offensive lineman, you know, yeah, uh, you're gonna take a lot of blows. But as long as that quarterback's protected or that running back's protected you know that's my job. I don't care what they do to me, just protect that guy behind me.
0: That's awesome. So, um accolades in uh, the pros, obviously I I opened up with the fact um Sports Illustrated's best lineman ever to play the game. I mean, that's a pretty 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 high accolade. What what else do you kind of remember um from from those days? As as far as uh oh. Just awards. thing you're most proud of, awards you uh, won, accolades. Well, being in the
1: Pro Football Hall of Fame is my most, yeah. you know, because that's a, kind of a lifetime achievement. Oh, yeah. And um, Jim Ringo, who played at Green Bay uh-huh. uh, and was a Hall of Famer uh, and also played at Philadelphia, he was my coach and was my favorite offensive line coach. He taught me things that just were unbelievable. Um, and... Anyway, he'd always come in the meeting room, and he'd look, and he'd say, now, boys, 20 years from now, you're going to walk into a room, and you're going to see a guy that you played in front of. One of you's going to look at him right square in the eye, and the other one's going to dip his head a little bit. And there's a lot of truth to that, huh. I realize now, because when you walk into a room, there's a lot of guys can both look at each other in the eyeball because they, they knew – the war that you fought and they yeah. respected. But then there are other guys you walk on in the room and they'll kind of look down or away and won't look you at the eye cause they knew that you handed their butts to them. Yeah. And that's fun.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> the little perks that nobody knows about. I mean, right, that's fun. That's awesome. So hall of fame, Canton gold jacket. What was that like being there? Were you the first person from Alabama ever to No, Gosh, no. Know? Um,
1: Joe Namath was in there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there are a lot of guys in there before me. I thought there's I think six guys in there before me. Uh, I was the first guy from the Patriots though. So.
0: Okay. Uh, but, That's what it was. Okay. Yeah.
1: But uh, but there are a lot of Alabama boys. Bart Starr, I mean, yeah. You know, there are a lot of great players from Alabama.
0: Yeah. Are you still a Patriots fan?
1: I don't watch the game. Yeah. Uh, it's I just it's not my game. I went to. I went to. You know, I I like a run. I like the the. uh, What happened? Here's my opinion. this is just an opinion. Basically, if you if, if a person can be is is truly knowledgeable of football, truly knowledgeable, he loves the running game. Yeah. Because the tactics and the and the the moves are great. A guy that is a fan that really doesn't understand the game. He likes the passing game. Cause all he's doing is watching guys jump and run fast and move and dart and yeah. this stuff. And you know, they don't really watch the intricacies of the game. But you know they they want that entertainment. So and and typically the fans are the corporation guys. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, when I played the guys that went to a pro game were iron workers and pipe yeah. fitters and plumbers and sheet metal workers and all yeah. those guys. And, and, uh, you know, they were rough and rugged kind of guys and they wanted to see a game.
0: Yeah. And some gridiron.
1: Yeah. But now, you know, today they, you know, it's geared more toward the corporate client, which is, he wants to be entertained with the ris- dazzle, you know? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's part of, that's part of the game. And,
0: uh, you know, that's yeah. Fine. Even in my lifetime, again, not, Taking away from John Elway, I'm a huge Broncos fan. I was born in Colorado, and watching John Elway with Terrell Davis, and you had a fullback Howard Griffith, and you watch him get the 2,000 yard game and win the Super Bowl MVP, and you know Elway could still sling it. And he was still, you know, he had Ron Smith, and he was still great quarterback. But it was all about Smash Mouth football still, and that was 97, 98. Now the, the, then, Peyton Manning comes along, and I, again, I was a big fan of that. I was very happy to have Peyton, but it's like you said, it's all. It's all, it's all a dazzle. Yeah,
1: and, and, and I thought Ray Perkins. I went down and visited him in Hattiesburg one time, and I said, "Coach, I don't see." You. We ran a play called Flow Thirty Six, and it's it was a great pro set play. Basically, the guard right, the weak side guard pulls, and the runs out, of, and the fullback he's taking a line shot at that outside backer, and no matter whether he goes in or out. He's making the mistake and it puts that pulling guard then either on force or field. And um, I asked him, I said, Why can't you run that play? He says, John, how many times did we run that at practice? I said, Oh gosh, we'd run it six, seven, eight times a a day. Yeah. He says, That's right. He says, According to the rules right now, we don't have the time to install a running game because it takes so many reputations. He says, if you think about a passing game, everybody runs the passing tree. You know, there's probably nine, ten routes that everybody runs. And he says, the quarterback knows all those, and everybody just learns nine things, and there's probably four, maybe five uh, pass protection variances. So it's so much easier to install a passing game. He says, then we don't have the time to install everything else. We just need to stick with the simple. And he says the fans like it anyway, so what the heck? Yeah. So you know, that's and that's where the football's gone. You know, it's not it's not designed now to be as intricate as it used to be.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: Huh. Well, speaking of things changing, what what are you what are your thoughts? This is always one of my favorite questions to ask guys from your era. What do you think about name, image, and likeness, NIL deals and where college football's gone now? I don't,
1: I don't like it. Uh the way it's set up. Yeah. I, I like it in that they're getting they're getting financial aid. Yeah. Um, I, I, I've gone brain dead. I, I was thinking of the receiver at Alabama that made the great catch behind the guy's head. Uh, but anyway, he got he tore his leg up, and yeah. he would have been a multimillionaire had he played. But college players are making the universities a ton of money. Yeah. And they're making their coaches a ton of money. Yeah. So the players need to get paid too. Okay. But here's the way I would have done it. Uh, instead of paying, having one guy be able to go out and do his own ad, Yeah. what I would have done was tell the school, you have to set up an annuity program for each of your players. Starters get this amount. Guys that don't start get this amount. That's fine. I believe yeah. in the competition. But they all get an annuity and they draw on that annuity after they get out of college, oh. and it can be a lifetime annuity or whatever. Yeah, but they get something to help them get started in life at that after that point in time. Yeah, and that's the way I would have set it up. I would have set up an annuity program. I deserve. I, they do deserve the money. They do need it to start get a start in life because yeah. they've already worked. Pretty dang hard. And let me tell you what, that college tuition that they played for, it worth what they gave for it.
0: Yeah. In effort. Yeah.
1: So, and and blood and sweat and all the other stuff. So uh, yes and no. Do I agree with it or don't agree with it? I I agree with it, but not in the way it's put down. Because it's not costing the colleges a dime. Yeah. And the colleges are making the money. Yeah. So they's the one that ought to pay the salaries.
0: Yeah, that's good. I, this is why I love uh, you know getting everybody's takes. What about the transfer portal?
1: I have, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think about that one. Yeah, I, I know yeah. when I played with the Patriots, I would have loved to have had free agency yeah. because I played for owners that really didn't want to win a Super Bowl. Yeah, they just wanted to sell season tickets. Yeah. So every time we got to a point where we're getting close, they would treat Trade players away and cut payroll. So